Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so you're participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your front-range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. everybody and welcome into keeping it 1000 with myself adam Mates, and former denver nuggets coach george carl coach it's good to see you again it's been a minute oh it's been a while i mean middle almost august and we're still talking nba basketball <laughs> this is when i've shut down my phones and didn't answer any phone from uh, about july 15th to september 1 and that must have been nice yeah six weeks of august was always the month that had no responsibilities, didn't want any responsibilities with anything about basketball unless, unless you know, something was going on that was major and big time. Um, this is where, you know, it was family time and vacation time. It was uh, get away from and recharge time. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, it's going to be really short. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to some guys back in Milwaukee today and a lot of a lot of a lot of friends uh, that I had the opportunity to hear their emotional couple guys that actually cried and said that you know it was amazing and uh, and it was amazing it was uh, it was a good representation of how NBA basketball can lift the city. Mm, I love that is a that is a fantastic quote. I, I, this is a feel good finals for me, and maybe it's just because of you know I liked Phoenix. I would not have felt bad if Phoenix would have won this one. That would some years I feel like oh man I love this to hate this team. I'm going for. I liked both, but I, I agree with you that this one felt great for the Giannis aspect, the city of Milwaukee aspect, that all of it, just the way it played out. Um, I thought it was a great story. So we're going to get to all of this. Milwaukee fans, Giannis, and how he played his press conferences, which I thought were in some ways just as interesting. Uh, we're going to get to all that. And then, of course, apply this to the Denver Nuggets. But first, I want to let everybody know we're presented, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. They are the presenting sponsor of the show, of course, and they have been since its inception. So use promo code DNVR when you sign up. A little bit later in the show, I'll give you guys a killer deal. They always do these killer deals on DraftKings. The one they have, this one, is the biggest lock they have ever had. So I'm going to give you that deal a little bit later. Um, I want to go back to what you were saying about August because this is a weird year. Because I look at it, you know, a player gets done and they don't make the playoffs or they lose in the first round. Player immediately goes on vacation. Oftentimes, a coach or front office, there's things to be done after a season, especially if you went to the first round of the playoffs. This year, we're already in August. The draft is in one week. The draft is in one week. You're just finishing out seeing how the season played out. How, what lessons can you learn? You got the draft in one week. The Olympics are going on. You've got Summer League. So I think those guys, Tim Conley and Josh Kroenke and Michael Malone, th- those guys still have another two or three weeks to, to keep going. And it, it, so with you, were you, was there any getaway, even if it was a small one, prior to the draft? Or was it just you didn't even think the season was over till after Summer League? Uh, you know, I slowed down after after the season ended, and you know, you could maybe get a week vacation in May, but your kids are in school. Right, that's true, yeah, and stuff like that. But 
uh, you know, you have your opportunities to maybe not work 10 hour days yeah, and maybe take a long weekend to go away some places, but it slows down. You know, for me, it slowed down after summer league. I mean, after the draft, after free agency hit in July and then whatever, July 15th, July 20th, you kind of know that you got one, two, three to do before September 1st. And, and I, I just wanted to totally, you know, go, go off the grid a little bit, you know, no, no, don't return phone calls. Don't, don't pick my phone up. Don't, don't respond to emails. Don't respond to media. Uh, and everybody kind of knew that. Yeah. And then when August came, it was, I kept that, you know, we always had Gerg's camp in Vegas, uh, the first week in August, and I always would go to that because of respect to Gerg and loving, loving what, what he has built and we have built kind of with the Gary Payton stories of, of 30 years ago or 25 years ago and I would go. Um, and then, you know, Labor Day was go back to work. Yeah. Uh, after and the day after Labor Day, it's okay. Who's in the gym today? Let's get going. We got to get to you know, we only had eight people and we needed about 20. And uh, but that's a good break yeah. a month, you know, five weeks or something like that. That's a good break, even though I know coaches during their season it's it, it's pretty crazy. But this year, I just wonder about it because we're talking about summer league that's going to go into I don't know the 18th or of August or 20th of August, something like that. You're going to have camp a couple weeks later after that. So this year in particular, I I wonder if a guy like a Michael Malone or some of the guys in the coaching staff, if they're true off season, not the little vacations they probably already had, but the true, like I can unplug is really two weeks. No, they're not going to get enough time. I mean, I would think the front office and the coaching, the probably the front row, of the coaches are going to be really, really squeezed into having any fun opportunities to extend, have an extended, extend, extended time to recharge your battery. I did, I mean, I'm, I mean, uh, my retreat was to go to McCall, I know, and sit there on the, on the lake and go jet skiing and play golf and do, do the rapids and, you know, get on horses and hang out in the nature, ha- hang out in nature for about, you know, I, at least a week, but um, sometimes it was two or three weeks. And I actually lived in McCall a lot of times when I was coaching in Europe and when I was coaching in the CBA and, um, I would I would stay in McCall through September because it, the best month in McCall was probably September and so, um, and I think most coaches have that you know I I know Greg Popovich likes to go to Europe right and hang out in Leningrad or hang right, out right. somewhere in Eastern Europe, um, but um, I mean it's not only this year but it's the last two years there's just been a lot of I don't know what the word to define it is. You know, it's been somewhat crazy, somewhat chaotic. But, you know, they, we've gotten through it, and we've gotten through it in a positive way. Uh, you know, are there things that I didn't like? Yeah, there are things you probably didn't right. like. Uh, but I'd like to, I think the NBA is smart to try to get back to the old rhythm. And I don't even know when free agency starts. It's, a start. it's coming up. I mean, it's not. I mean, this it's going to be such a packed week, really. The draft next Thursday, and you've just got all these little check marks, guys, opt in dates, and all of that stuff. That yeah, it's been interesting to see the analysts shift from like, okay, we're covering final, we're coming the playoffs, to now we got to do a full draft prep immediately. But before we get there, one of the pleasant surprises I thought of this playoffs, and especially of this finals, 
was I had never really heard about the Milwaukee Bucks fan base or the Phoenix fan base. There's certain ways you see them, you know, they'd been in the playoffs and they'd made some good runs, the Steve Nash era, but I never saw them the way that we've seen them. This, I thought it was two absolutely fantastic crowds, fan bases. And they actually became to me, at least a little sub story where I was said, I thought, man, these are two fan bases that didn't get their love. Now you coached in Milwaukee. What was your experience of the basketball fandom in, in Milwaukee? Uh, I got to four conference finals and one NBA final, I think. I might, I might, be, I might be missing one, but... Uh, and Milwaukee was the hottest city the year we went to the conference final against Philadelphia. Uh, we beat uh, Doc Rivers in Orlando and Tracy McGrady in the first round. Had a great seven-game series against Charlotte. Down, th- down 3-2 going to Charlotte. Kind of like Phoenix had to do. Right, right. Uh, and we went into Charlotte and beat them and then came back and won game seven in, in Milwaukee. And then the seven-game series against Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, it went seven. Right. But Glenn Robinson had a wide-open jump shot in game five to win to win a game five. Painful. And I, and I think if we win game five, we win the series. And he short-armed it. And I actually, after Milwaukee won game five, I YouTubed the final five minutes of that game and watched them just because I was kind of emotionally yeah. engaged a little bit. And my memory of that jump shot and memory of the play we ran. And, and you know, I, what I remember so much about that play is a Matumbo could have jumped at Glenn, could have jumped at his jump shot. And we we liked hands in, because I think – uh, Big Dog liked liked a kind of a, a scope on his jump shot. If you get a hand, it didn't bother him very much. Tumbo didn't jump it, so it was wide open. Mm. And I, th- I just think, I just remember that shot. And I talked to Sam Cassell about it, and we did a Forgotten Season program on, on the... Really um, cool podcast George is doing where they go back and look at unheralded or, or forgotten seasons, seasons that were heralded their time, but maybe you forgot about really cool series. seasons that were really powerful in the city that right. they were in, but did not get the national recognition of, of that type of scenario. And, uh, it's been doing great. I mean, and what we like about it from a podcast standpoint, you could take this to football. You could take this to baseball. Oh, totally. You could take it all over. The Sports place. it needs to move correct back to this because I feel like this, the championship or whatever, that's the goal. It has to be the goal. But there's all these other little stories that happen along the way, and they, they really tell the full story of what sports can be. And I, and I think too much of America in sports right now is if you, if you don't win a championship, you're a failure. Yeah. And that is so far from the truth. The truth is, in the NBA, I mean, right now everybody's going to celebrate the champion, and Coach Bud is the championship coach. But, you know, there are probably two, in my opinion, two or three coaches, maybe more, that coached their team better than Coach Bud did. Interesting. Who are they? Well, I'm not going to throw that out there. Okay. I mean, I mean, <laughs> but, you know, there's a, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Coach Coach Bud, I mean Bud, he's he's been on the hot seat. In yeah. Milwaukee. Milwaukee is not treated. Might well not have made it past this year if they didn't make it the way yeah. they did. The national media hasn't been fair to him. Uh, Perkins, uh, Kendrick Perkins, came out on him after game one and two, and I I just thought, what the hell are you talking about? I thought I thought Coach Bud did an incredible job 
through in the playoffs, in the middle of the playoffs, of turning Giannis from Giannis a lot in the season, I thought was trying to play like LeBron or like Doncic for his career a lot. Yeah, he was playing out front ball with the ball, and all of a sudden. He's playing center. Right. He's playing handoff. He's playing pick and roll. He's rolling to the basket. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's reading penetration and getting cuts and dunks off of other people making good plays. And I thought, and then, and I don't know when it was. It was probably in game one or game two of this series. He said, "That's what. That's who I am." Yeah. And he it got better. I think I mean, it was even before that. I, I think this is a seasons-long... Correct me if you see something different, but I feel like it was a seasons-long shift for him that really accelerated in the playoffs. And it reminds me, I thought LeBron James... Look, he's had a fantastic career. He was one of the best role men that we've ever seen. But for some reason, he never did it. He would do it maybe 10 times a playoffs. He'd be a role man. they score every single time out of those plays. And you thought, okay, he's not just a role man, but can he be that a little bit more, especially with Kyrie Irving? I thought Giannis, and this maybe is an ego thing... Everybody wants to be the ball handler, wants to do this. He was the screener for right. pick and rolls for so much of this playoffs, and it, unstoppable. And he got better at it. He got yeah. better at it. He got a better feel for it. And it opened up the window of giving Holiday and Middleton more opportunity yep. to be more assertive and more – I mean, Middleton at the end of games was incredible. I mean, maybe one of the best performances of all time Yeah, in clutch moments in a playoff series that – had three really close games. Yeah, that could have gone either way. Even the play that sealed this game six and sealed the championship that that bucket that he had. Even that play used Giannis rolling to the basket to set up him so that there was no help as he came off of the screen. It was again using Giannis and how great he is as a roller to get him a comfortable, still a difficult shot, but a but a comfortable shot he could walk into. Well, I, I think people real got to realize that as a coach, you don't want to take difficult shots. Right. You want to take open shots. You want to make the game have a flow and a rhythm that very seldom do you got to make a tough shot. Playoffs is a little different. Yeah. You have to have at least yeah. one, maybe two, yeah. and probably three guys that can make tough shots. And what's funny is, Phoenix faltered in that area. Their offense got under, Milwaukee got Phoenix under control, especially in most of the games in the fourth quarter. By the fourth quarter, Milwaukee, you know, uh, Phoenix was having trouble scoring in the last three or four games. And, you know, Booker could make tough shots. Chris Paul had a history of this series before the series of making tough shots, but he didn't make tough shots in this series. And then I think that put pressure on a lot of young kids. Aiden had to perform well. Aiden didn't perform well. They didn't play well. And when Aiden missed easy, easy shots, he didn't seem to be have a defensive focus. He lost his focus and lost his physicality a little bit. Don't get me wrong. He had to cover Giannis, which is a difficult <laughs> challenge. But I think when he was into the game offensively, he covered Giannis better. Yeah. When he wasn't in the game offensively, he kind of was, he got beat up a little bit, I think, in those areas. So I want to talk about Giannis because he's, I mean, this was a team win. There was a lot of good, we're going to talk about Drew Holiday. We're going to talk even more about Middleton, but 50-point closeout game. And if you just go back the last three games, you know, of course, Milwaukee wins four in a row to close this out. Game three, very close one. Game four, you got the block. One of the best blocks we've ever seen at that, that, that level. Uh, game five, you have the dunk. 
and that wasn't just him. I think Drew Holiday was maybe more impressive on that play to get the steal, but still he finishes it off. And then you have this 50-point game last night that I thought was a near-flawless performance. You look at one of the big flaws for him is free-throw shooting. He goes 17-19. and 19. What You've remarked that he is your favorite player. Is that a favorite player currently? Why is that? And what did you see from him tomorrow that was maybe indicative of the things that you like about him? Well, I mean, he's a... He's an incredible athlete at seven foot tall and tremendous length, tremendous bounce. Uh, you know, here's the kid who was 195 pounds when he started playing pro basketball, and he's now 245, and he looks like Superman out there. He almost has a, he almost has a Dwight Howard body. And the, the amazing kind thing, of, yeah. Dwight Howard had that body in high school. Yeah. This kid wasn't that, and this right. kid was skinny. Right. And... Uh, he plays both ends of the court. He plays with passion. He plays with emotion. He's a good teammate. And I think the impressive thing to me was over the last of these playlists in the finals where he got interviewed, I thought he was answering tough questions better than anybody. You don't just mean after this last game. You mean the entire finals. I'm talking finals. early in the series when no. they got down 2-0. Mm -hmm. He was positive. He was pumped up. I, I saw one, one broadcast. He got a little emotional that we're going to win a championship. And, I mean, he made, I think in a lot of ways, he made his team believe. But in a lot of ways, he made the city of Milwaukee believe. Right. And you were asking me about my, my conference things. Milwaukee, the, the time we went to the conference championship, was his, the city was lit up. Better than any city I've been in. Better than Denver when we went to conference championship. Better in Seattle. The two times we went to the conference championship in Seattle. Went to the NBA finals. The city was lit up when we got to the finals. But for the conference finals, the city of Milwaukee was lit up. I think it was 2001. And, uh, you know, jump shot away from the NBA finals. So one of the things I hate about the NBA is... These fan bases don't get their due because whenever you hear about, oh, so-and-so should go to New York or L.A., part of it is that people understand that's where people want to be. But a lot of this is the fans there, the fans. And look, there are great fans. The big cities, they're great fans. But I never would have known this about the Bucks. I never, if you would have told me to rank the cities that you coached in from where they were, you know, from playoff excitement or whatever, I would not have put Milwaukee number one. And it makes me wonder why that is. It's just a story that isn't told. And I watch the thousands of people standing outside of Fiserv and I go like, wow, I would have never guessed. I see all the people in Phoenix outside of the arena or outside of the airport at 1 a.m. in the morning to greet the team, thousands of people. And I go, wow, I would have never known Phoenix as a fan base capable of doing that. So it almost frustrates me. That it excited me to see it, but it almost frustrated me that those things are never talked about. You go to Milwaukee and have a good team, they're going to pack outside not just the building but the city block. Well, I'll talk about Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix was impressive. That was a Very. hot building. And I remember not more than two years ago, before COVID, Phoenix building was dead. It was a dead building. There were empty seats all over the place. The fans were late coming and early leaving. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, they, they, they were kind of down on their time, down on their team. And then the turnaround through the bubble and then through this year, I think it says a lot for the city. I mean, I thought both cities were lit. I mean, they were high and they were fighting. But what Milwaukee did last night with, what, 60,000 people outside the building? 
It was incredible. I mean, was that I what mean, the number was? I didn't hear a number. I don't. I heard the number sixty thousand. Wow. And if that's and I know where that area is. And then they 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 they, they showed it a lot on the broadcast, and yeah. it looked like there's a hell of a lot of people there. And there was such a good energy. I know this is dumb, but when Game Six started, I mean, I thought Milwaukee was going to win anyway. But when there was two hours before, and they showed everybody just jumping and all that, I said. The energy in Milwaukee right now is great. It gives you that there's home court advantage, and then there's home court advantage when there's just a buzz. And there was a buzz there that they were about to win a championship. And I thought, man, Phoenix is not winning this one. Um, I know that's that's kind of a silly existential thing, but it it it, it it's real. It's real. You you it's feel real. it, and I could feel it just watching the videos. Why why did Milwaukee win the final? If you could narrow it down to a reason that they won the finals this year. I think uh, the th first thing that comes to mind is Milwaukee showed tremendous mental toughness. Yeah. Uh, being down 2-0 twice yep. and coming back. Um, you know, having to win a game seven uh, in difficult. Had to win a game and guy makes a shot and makes it go overtime. And still having the, the courage to keep, keep winning. Um, I just think that what they learned in their two years of of hell, of losing when they're not supposed to lose, and going through that process, the resiliency and the perseverance of what they learned showed in how they performed. And I thought as the series moved on, Phoenix's inexperience showed and where they were in the process of playoff championship basketball now i think booker is going to be a hell of a player but i was worried about booker all through the series even though he, he probably performed better than i thought he would but that first half he had last night i thought he was going right. to have that more often than right. he did he probably had it three times in the series i thought he could have it four or five times chris paul i don't know what happened but he lost his greatness. What do you think happened, though, if you were to guess? I think he's banged up. Yeah. I thought he missed some shots that he never misses. Injured or banged up? Because to go through the playoffs, you're probably no player's not going to be banged up by the end of the, the finals. I, I just thought, I mean, he put a clinic on the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. He put a clinic on him on making that 14-foot fadeaway jump shot with good defense right. most of the time on him. And... He, he had those same shots in game four, five, and six wide open sometimes and, did, and didn't make them. And those were shots that, you know, I just didn't, I don't know if it was confidence or a combination of injury. Everybody said his left hand, something's wrong with his left hand. Um, but I also thought he had a, a mad dog defender. Right. Holiday, I was really impressed. He made there are not many guys. I don't say this about many guys, but Drew Holiday made me think about Gary Payton a little bit. <laughs> really? I mean, that's how good he, I thought yeah. he was. And, and not only did he cover uh, Chris Paul well, he was probably the best cover on Booker. Right. I oh, mean, there's no question. That's not a controversial. I mean, for sure he was. I mean, Middleton, did, and, and then you got Middleton and Giannis. More good defenders. And that is probably, I at the end of the night, I said, I liked the series more than anything before. Is one, I thought the referee let the game get physical. Definitely true. Which I liked. Me too. And then defense matters. Defense, we, what we've been talking about for two years is 
the explosion of offense. Right. And uh, I want you to know, and I, I think you can probably even say the L.A. Lakers won last year because of their defense. No doubt about it. No doubt and about it. And the reason the Milwaukee Bucks won this year is they're a better defensive team than Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's no question about that. And you look at the amount of defenders that they had. Your, your sayings always stick with me. And one of your sayings that you've had on the show over and over is there's nothing more intimidating in the playoffs than when you can't score. And you just ask, what was it about Chris Paul? He missed all those shots. Well, I think the thing was, if he missed a shot against Denver, the confidence that the next time down would make one was so high. There's no pressure. I miss a shot. All right. That's just because I missed, not because they're going to make it harder next time. And I think with Milwaukee, it was... As you watched the beginning of that game. It was 7-6 to six before Bud called a timeout. I think it was six minutes into the game. Both teams were flying around. But Milwaukee, the, the, how hard both teams had to fight to get a basket, it made me think, okay, that little fall away from 18 feet, now where you have no – there's no question because if I miss it, I just come down. Now it's like, hey, every mildly open shot took so much work that I might not get another one till the second quarter. So I better make it if I get this one. I think that, as well as all the defense, obviously, and Drew Holiday, I think it – that sticks with me of second guessing every shot you take because you know they're not coming around every time down the court. No, I mean the, the beginning of that game reminded me of an old school nineteen ninety six game yeah. of where you know you just knew every shot was going to be difficult. Every shot was, you know, if you could find a matchup or if you could find a layup, it's a celebration, right? And and what what I I think Milwaukee did really well was they took. They got in control of Aiton a little bit. I mean, Aiton missed a lot of not easy shots, but he missed a lot of basket around the basket shots. And again, youthful. They, they they're playing four young basketball players out there. Yeah, Bridges is young. Johnson is young. Aiton is young. Booker is young. Campaign. Uh, Cameron Cameron. Payne, they're all young. Yeah, a lot of young. And players. and all somewhat inexperienced in the in the form. Chris Paul was the only guy. I thought their injury to Sarge uh, was was right. hurt, really hurt him. Yeah, and I think Monty, as this year has gone on, got really conservative, and I thought overloaded a little bit too much on Booker and and uh, Paul. So you said no at the start of this. You don't think the fact that it was so hard to score maybe made even good shots more difficult to make, just psychologically. No question. I mean. Right. And then as the series gets closer to seven, it gets harder. Right. right. It's easier to make shots in one, two, three. So and I said this last year. Denver, you know, last year the Lakers roll through the first round, they roll through the second round. They get in the conference finals. They beat Denver comfortably. Denver was tired in game one. Game two is the Anthony Davis shot. And I always say, look, I don't know if Denver was going to win that series. You know, I think the Lakers were better. They had the better defense. But the Lakers never had to sweat last year. They didn't sweat all the way through to the playoffs. And I always think it's different when a team sweats. And if you can win, if Denver goes up 2-1 in that series, then does somebody on the Lakers get a little tight? Does the defense, do they make an adjustment that maybe wasn't needed and, and this or that? And that's kind of what I think you're getting at with Phoenix is they – Prior to that series, they'd been 2-2 with the Lakers, 2-2 with the Clippers. But then you get down 3-2, and those young players get a little younger all of a sudden because this is the first – we've skated to this point, and now we're down in a series, and we can't lose or we're going home. I don't think there's any question that the youthfulness of Phoenix and understanding how tough it is. I know fans don't want to hear it. It is hard to win four games against a good basketball team. And and then I, I thought 
what happened is Phoenix couldn't sustain it through the three into the fourth quarter and into the end of the game. Right. As the game got longer, it seemed Phoenix got had a little fade in them. As where as the game got longer, Milwaukee got stronger. That's where the physicality helped out too, especially with a guy like Drew Holiday. Size too. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I never even thought through the Lakers and the Clippers series that Phoenix is really small. Right. And Milwaukee said, you're really small. Yeah, yeah. That's another lesson perhaps to take from this is, you know, there's so many players in this draft that I look at, I'm like, man, I really like him, but he's 6'3", and he's a 2. And you start, I just wonder if we're getting to a point in the NBA where, yeah, you can have one of those guys. I don't know if you can have two or three. The deeper you go in the playoffs, eventually somebody's going to start looking really small. Um, I got to keep it moving, though, here, because it's true holiday. We just, we've been raving about him. You've been a big advocate. You were a big advocate for Chris Paul. You were a big advocate for Drew Holiday. Let's talk about Drew Holiday because he's the one that I think was most gettable for Denver, you know, was at least on the radar. Would he have had the same impact for Denver? I mean, I, I don't know what the price tag was when we were talking about it. I think it, prob- I think it included Michael Porter. I don't remember if it did or did not, but it would have been a lot of draft picks, probably a young asset. Would he have had that same impact for Denver with a healthy Murray and Jokic? I think Drew Holiday would, would have an impact anywhere he goes, and including winning a championship, which is the top level right. of competition. And he would have lifted Denver. Uh, would he have been better than Aaron Gordon? I'd say there's no question. Really? Okay, that's uh, one of know, my questions. I mean, there's no question in my mind that the flow and rhythm of the game, and then you add a defender in the backcourt that can be a stopper, not only a good defender, but a stopper, and the two things I know that gravitate when you have on your team, they filter into other players because you have them on your team, is shooting and defense. If you have guys that demand defense, other guys will demand themselves to play defense. And guys that shoot the ball really well have a, a weird magic that it rubs off a bad shooter. Mm. And all of a sudden, he, I like starts, theory. he starts shooting the ball yeah. better. And so passing definitely great passers. Everybody's going to start passing, right? Finding, you know, the ball finds the the open man. If you have that on your team, it's usually caused because you have one or two guys that are committed to it. Yeah. I love that. Why don't we hit our first break on the other side? Let's turn our attention more to some nuggets stuff now. And what can we learn about the nuggets and how they need to build their roster? I even want to ask the big question, which is, I think this every year when we go deep in the finals, I watched the level of defenses that played at the final at the finals level. It's almost always good. Both these teams were good defensively. And it makes me wonder, Murray, Porter, Jokic, can you build a, a, a team good enough around those three to be able to do this? It's, a, it's an interesting question. We'll do it on the other side. But first, uh, guys, DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor, and obviously my favorite one. We talk about them every single day. We have the bet show that gives you free winners every single day uh, using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And right now, they always do this deal. For new users to get you to sign up, they say you bet $1, and then they'll give you some kind of crazy odds boost. Well, this one's the craziest one I've ever heard of. It has to do with the Tokyo Olympics, which are starting this Friday. I can't wait. Very excited for it. You bet $1, and if the United States wins a single medal a single medal at the Olympics, then you will win $100. So you bet $1, and if the U.S. gets one medal, I I think that's a lock. I would say that's close to a lock. 
So if you want to make $100 on your one, there's what you're going to do. You just bet $1. You sign up. You use the promo code DNVR. And if an American athlete gets to take the gold, the silver, or the bronze at any point in the Olympics, you're going to win $100. Betting on DraftKings Sportsbook is very easy. It's safe. It's reliable. It's secure. You can withdraw or deposit money at your own convenience. It's really, really easy to navigate and use. You just click on the Olympics one there. You can bet on whichever event you want. So download the top-rated Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a single medal. That's promo code DNVR for a limited time only must be 21 or older Colorado only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details and if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 back here on the keeping it 1000 podcast myself and George Carl and we just broke down the Milwaukee Bucks we talked about some of our takeaways from them I am at the end of the show going to ask about what Giannis talked about afterwards about the difference between easy championships and difficult championships and if, if coach sees a difference in value from one championship to the next, or if championship is the only thing that matters. But I want to first talk about the Denver Nuggets and and just kind of where they go. So you've advocated for Chris Paul. You've advocated, advocated for Drew Holiday. I think you have to be feeling really good because when I say advocate, you didn't just say this one time. You kind of harped on it. You harped on it for a while. On Twitter, on this show, uh, on your show, everywhere you went, you said Drew Holiday, Chris Paul, these are guys to go get, and they were in the finals. So you have to be feeling good about that, I imagine. <laughs> Well, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I, why guys, why people don't make trades, you know, I, coaches want to win tomorrow. Coaches want right, to win right. the year they're coaching in. But, you know, I, I think I've been very blunt on the Nuggets, in my opinion, worry too much about future potential than the now of winning a championship. I think for four years, the team has had enough talent to win a championship. If the pieces, they had, they, they, they're going to have to make maneuvers. And they keep adding new faces and, and new personality of potential. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, I was happy when they picked up Aaron Gordon because that was a little more to the future of, of having a, a proven pro player. And there are not a lot of rookies playing in the NBA Finals. There are not a lot of one, two, three-year players playing in the NBA Finals. And if that's your goal, I think you got to build your roster a little more around this, the good pro that somehow, some reason, wants to come to Denver. <laughs> or, that that or second you, part is difficult. Or you can or, trade for him. And they, or Denver yeah. can get him in a trade. And they have assets. They have draft picks. They have value on their roster. And I don't think they've maneuvered that very well. To, to take a team that I thought three or four years ago was a good playoff team to become a championship contending team. You know, in general, Adam, I think the city of Denver thinks Denver can win a championship. Sure. But the NBA fan base, I don't think, believes that Denver is good enough. With a healthy Jamal Murray. Well, Jamal Murray, the thing that, you, that I, I tell fans, because they're all nervous about Jamal Murray, is... Jamal Murray's injury is a two-year injury. Right, right. I mean, it's not only this year, and he'll come back and play this coming year, but you cannot expect him to be 100%. It's going to be somewhere in the second year where he starts feeling the vibe that I'm, I'm getting back to where I was. Right. So It's a long way away. you got to manage it. Yeah. And so I'm going to go out and say again, 
there's a guy out there that I like. Okay. Uh, that is not proven, though. But I thought he had a hell of a year this year. He's big. He passes the ball really well. He's a point guard. And I think he's worked on his game. And it's Alonzo Ball. Oh, well, now you're, now you're singing my music here. This is my guy. Everybody in the comments knows this is my guy. So tell me why, why Lonzo Ball. And is Lonzo Ball a replacement of somebody on the roster now, or is he an, an addition to kind of the core? And when I say core, Jokic and Murray are center of the core. Michael Porter is, you know, right there is the core as well. Is it an addition to those guys? I, I think the third fiddle on this team is, well, the second and third fiddle on this team is up for grabs next year. Okay. Murray's going to show these back, and that's right, not going to happen until right, right. March or April. Right. Okay? Porter has not proven to me that he's a second, third fiddle guy. I like him. I, want, I would like to keep him. But, again, I'm not overreacting to potential. Okay. Because I, I still don't know exactly what Michael Porter Jr. is. Well, how do you account for... So Porter's such an interesting one because you're right. Like, you watch him in the playoffs here, especially in that second round, and you think, okay, he's one of the 20 best guys on the you know, in this series. But you watch him, I, I think... Maybe maybe you disagree with this, but I think it'd be hard to watch his game and look at him and say, "Oh, that's a six ten, six eleven, hyper athletic, dead eye three point shooter." Like, I know you don't like potential because you can't ever see that far around the curve, but he does seem to have more potential than your average player just based oh, on the physical gifts. No, I mean, there's no question he's a gifted player. He has all star talent. Yeah. I mean, does he have a mentality? Does he have a position? Right, right. You know, the game evolves away from certain positions. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we. I mean, for for thirty years, this center was the most important position in basketball. Right. And now is the minimal, maybe third or fourth position in basketball. So, six eleven, six ten, six eleven, three men. Where? Who are they? Tell me, who are they? Yeah, that's a four now. I mean, tell me what two or three men is six eleven, and is a hell of a shooter, but doesn't can't cover. Right. Two or three men. Right. And, I, I, you know, you brought up the subject of your three best players on the team right, right now. If you're rating them as defenders, they're not getting high grades. Right. They're getting better. I think all of them have gotten a little bit better. I think Jokic made big strides. Murray got better. Porter got better. But they're not building a defensive-minded basketball team around that nucleus. You got to go find some guys that really are special. Does can you though with those guys? I mean, you're talking about Porter as a four. I agree with you. I think you can maybe you can do a combo thing and Aaron Gordon guard some fours or whatever. You can maybe get cute there, but can you with those three guys? Is their potential high enough defensively that you? Well, again, fans are going to be happy with Michael Porter Jr. playing and winning fifty games and dominating weaker teams. I think you got to start judging the Denver Nuggets on how good do they play against the best teams. No question about it. I, I'm not disagreeing with you on this. I'm asking your honest opinion because you might have to nip this in the bud and say, hey, these are three great players, but they're all offensive really great players, and maybe we need – maybe but you, you can't have – I mean, you, again, I can't go three great players. You, okay. got, one, you okay. got one great player. Okay. Murray yeah. coming okay. back from a two-year – an injury that's going to take right. two years right. and an unproven young kid. 
And yeah, they've had games where, wow, there's a wow effect of those guys playing basketball the right way. Right. But is it was was last night's game, the first seven minutes of last night's game, a wow game? No. It wasn't a wild game. And great offense wasn't was going to make that much of a difference against the defense those guys were playing. It was a playing. fight. Yeah, it was it a was fight. It was an angry battle. It was a competitive SOB fight. Okay. I like Yoki's in that fight. I probably liked Murray before his injury in that fight. But there, you can't say you have three right. studs right now. Right, right. I mean, and, and, and I think management has got to react to that. Okay. Well, so I can't tell you if you're answering it or because or, or, I understand what you're saying. You're right. Michael Porter is an unproven star, but I'm saying even if you prove him as a star, even if he reaches his potential, is his potential a defensive potential? What I'm asking is, can you build a good defense along around those three guys making a leap? Or is it sometimes you have to be like, no, they can be good defenders. They can't be great. And you need to have at least two or three great defenders. No. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... I don't think any of those guys are ever going to be considered a damn good defender. Okay. Yeah. I like what I like about how frustrated you are by this question is this is such a this is such an indicative uh, question about the schism between a coach and an, a fan or an analyst. As I'm asking this question, or and, management, or, man, or maybe even management. I mean, these, right. are, these are discussions that I had with management many right. nights. Right. Um, so why Alonzo Ball? What is it that? What would he look like? alongside Nikola Jokic? Well, one, Lonzo Ball is a little bit like Jokic. He makes guys better. Yeah, He's a little bit like Jokic. He likes to pass it more than he likes to shoot it. He's a little bit like Jokic from a standpoint, he's a pretty good rebounder. Yeah. Lonzo Ball has rebounding hands and anticipates very well. Is he a good defender? Not yet, but I think he has skills in that territory of being a not not a holiday type stopper, but a good defender against a good player. He's a, he's a very aware defender, and and I think he he hasn't he hasn't blossomed yet. Yeah, he's shown signs, and I know he's going to get a, probably overpaid, but I I think he's worth a chance. Yeah, is there any other players you kind of look around and say that'd be an interesting name? Whether it's trade or free agency, I'll, I'll throw one while you're thinking here. Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that, I mean, he's got the CU connection. He's also a long sort of point guard. Different, though. I like Dinwiddie. I'm not sure I wouldn't. I, I don't think he's in Lonzo Ball's potential. Yeah. But I think he might be better than what they got right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I and my Monte Morris is really, really good. But... Are you you want to start Monte Morris and go with Murray when he comes back and play that right. combination? I could see people them saying, "Yeah, let's do that." But I think the way Coach Malone coaches is the more good guards you have, the more he'll use them. Right. The more he'll play, and he and you know, I've, I've seen four guards sometimes. This yeah, year. I've seen three point guards out yeah. there times, and that's all fine and dandy with me because I think the more. More good decision makers you have on the court, the better you'll play basketball. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, there's not a lot of great free agents this year. When you kind of look around and see, I mean, some of the names you even get to are like a Jeff Green. Um, you know, you start you start to get down the list a little bit of guys, and you think, okay, these are, I don't know if they're impact players, 
but I haven't seen the list, so yeah, okay. Well, you're, you're already <laughs> studying. I want I want to celebrate with my Milwaukee friends for a day or two more. <laughs> there you go. Um, what do you think that the Cronkies would need to do this summer if they were to, to show that they care about winning? Or is there anything you can look at this year and say, hey, if you really think this is a championship team, you do this thing? I think be be proactive, you know. Um, I don't know the free agent market. I don't know if anything fits their personality. Um, they have assets. Uh, I would like to see them, instead of drafting, I would like them to trade their draft pick and try to get a player. I want, I want a proven player. I don't want potential players anymore. We got enough of them. How many potential, is it important, this is just a hypothetical, don't, let's forget about Denver's current situation, but is it important to have one or two players that are potential not playing? I mean, you only have 15 roster spots, but is it important, you know, people talk about keeping the cupboard full. You know, you have somebody, yeah, we're not drafting you to play now, but we got our 12 guys. You're hopefully next year's 12 guys. I think they spend too much time thinking about that, to okay. be honest with you, because they, 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 they do that well. Yeah. They do that well. Very well. But I don't like not, uh, 10, 11, 12 putting pressure on 6, 7, 8 all the time. I like the 8, 9 guys that are going to play and know who they are, their responsibilities, and then you have insurance policies. Right. And those insurance policies got to work their ass off. Right. They got to get better by not playing in games, but playing in practice. It's so funny because when you talk to fans so often, when you're talking about these 6, 7, 8 guys – um, you know, you got a guy behind behind them. And, and if you consolidate and then you say, oh, well, if they lose one of their top four guys, they're not going to win. They're not going to win anyway. You lose one of your top four guys, you're almost certainly not going to win in the NBA. That's just how it works. I don't know how many teams can lose a top four player and still get through through an NBA finals. Yeah, they can win, but they can't win big. Right, right. I mean, and again, I think the Denver fan base and the Denver management talks like they're in the top echelon of NBA teams. And, they, you know, I, I don't think the NBA looks at them that way as much as the fan base. Did the NBA look at, at the Phoenix Suns that way prior to this year? I think Phoenix proved themselves through the year by okay. being the best road team in basketball. Right, right. By putting, what, putting a hell of a record on the board. Right. And I thought, you know, the Chris Paul personality to that team yeah got, yeah. got, got NBA respect I, the only reason I'm pushing back on this is if I'm looking at it from Denver's perspective I think Denver can look at their roster before Jamal Murray went down and say we beat Phoenix two out of three they were close I'm, games I'm going back you guys got I mean you, you the Jamal Murray injury is something that I think management's got to be aware of Do you, okay because I know he's working his ass off I know he's a dedicated pro and I know he's going to try to be Russell Westbrook and come back from this injury probably quicker and faster than anybody ever has. But the injury says it takes time. Well, so I, maybe I don't know if this is where you're going or trying to steer me, but so if there, because if you miss a whole year, even if he comes back, you're saying next year doesn't sound great because he's such a big piece. You can't really win without him and he won't be there. But would you trade him? Would you consider if a team was trying to rebuild and they said, hey, he's on contract for four more years, a Damian Lillard comes through, you would... Pull the trigger I mean, on I'm definitely isn't doing Damian Lillard. I mean, I mean that's a that's a stud. I mean, um, 
And again, I don't even know, I don't study Denver's salary cap. But something that the Cronkies should be aware of is not many teams win championships without going into the tax. Right, right. And so that would be the one step that they would announce for the next five years. We will go into the tax if it makes our better team better. Right, right. I'll add a second thing. Put them back on television. <laughs> to me, this is a two-year thing. I'm ready. I don't care what happens. They need to be where people can actually watch them. Well, it's become a total joke. Let's be. It's. I watch these fan bases. I watch Milwaukee, and I think, would Denver do that? Would they be a fraction of that? And I think it's so hard right now when you know with them not being. I just feel like momentum halted with this sort of TV uh, dispute. But I, it's a rabbit hole we've gone down before. We don't have to go again. Um, Wes Hunsell just got picked up by the Washington Wizards. Um, Michael Malone now has two branches on the coaching tree. He's got Chris Finch, who was an assistant for a while, is now in Minnesota, and now Wes Unsell. Just, you know, first question is just, you know, when a coach leaves. You know, Denver was advocating for Wes Unsell quite a bit. I think coaches take a lot of pride in having a coaching tree and saying, hey, this was a guy that was with me, and now he's got a head job. Like, what is it like when you lose a, a, a coach to become another head coach? You have yeah. how many coaches around the league right now? How many? Your coaching tree has how many branches on it? Uh, Terry Sods, Dwayne Casey, Nate McMillan, uh, Jamal Mosley, uh, Chauncey. You yeah. can say Chauncey's in my. In my sure. I mean, I think Chauncey would probably give Larry Brown most of the love, but um, you know, Jamal Mosley. I mean, Darvin Ham was on. He was on. Uh, yeah, on a chance. I think. Um, I think that's a lot. It's a lot. I think five out of 30, I would say yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. But what's that like? So when you lose a guy, I mean, obviously Denver was prepared for this. They wanted it to happen. But what's it like when you lose a guy? What's the process of <clears throat> getting new assistants? Uh, I, I really like moving in a positive way. I mean, this is positive. I mean, he takes, he takes his knowledge, his years here in Denver, and hopefully he'll go to Washington, another conference, and hopefully he has great success. And a storybook fit for him, you know, his dad being there, him right. coming up there. So, uh, And, you know, I think it's a good story. Yeah. Good spirit, good karma. Uh, I don't know Wes very well. Um, every time I've been around him, he's a first-class guy, a hard worker. He works Gerg's camp, and uh, I've seen him do, do good stuff there. But it's, it's hard for young coaches. Yeah. I mean, Jamal Mosley is my guy, and... I mean, I feel tough. Orlando, they, they have like 37, 20-year-olds, and they're going to add more. They're going to have like five <laughs> more in the draft. They definitely are not on the George and, Carl plan and, of consolidating. Well, you know, okay, but all that does is you're going to lose a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I don't like coaching in losing situations. It's not I've, – I've said a hundred times, the best coach in basketball is winning, and the worst coach in basketball is losing. So what do you look for then? You know, Denver, here, here's a thought I have as an outsider, having never been inside a, co a season with a coaching staff, is I think you need new perspective every now and then. Sometimes it can get stale. Yeah. So you get an assistant coach in. To me, it's like, okay, that's a new voice in. You keep continuity, but you get a new perspective in that maybe has a new, hey, why don't we do this? Or why don't we radically structure? Are you looking for that? Are you looking for somebody that's like, hey, let's get something outside of the box to get fresh ideas in here? I love the idea of outside the box. Like, I was actually talking to an NBA coach today about, like, I think San Antonio needs to go get an outside-the-box guy. Mm. Atkinson went to Golden State. That's outside the box. 
I thought that was good. They have a really good, interesting staff. And if you talk about out the box, Golden State has a lot of out the box. They just picked up Jokic's old coach, Dejan Milojevic, very respected in Europe. But again, it goes on there. You have so many different voices. And I think the one thing I don't like about the NBA right now is there's too many coaches. I mean, there's a lot too many. Oh, really? Well, there's too many voices now in the kitchen. Okay. I don't know. A lot of them are coaches. Now they're physiologists. There's Mm. analytics. There's nutritionists. Load management. I think you can make, I think um, Bill Gates said, have a have a staff that is one half of a man too few, where everybody's got to overachieve. Oh, I see. Than having a staff that is one and a half man too much that they can underachieve. Interesting. I like that's a really interesting philosophy. Um, what would you look for in a Denver assistant? Is there like a, a specific trait you just think, hey, this is a thing they could use? <clears throat> I think they should add someone probably that likes to play really fast. Oh, someone to put some speed back into the team. I don't like the pace of the team. If I if I was analyzing right now, I would think they could be a better pace basketball team rather than a, a low possession basketball team. I this is I won't really know the answer to this, but when we talked about the Cronkies and one thing I'm interested in, I'm interested to see if they just spend. It's a, the, assistants are a thing you could spend as much as you want on. So, or as little as you want on. And sometimes you do see, I mean, you've got Mike D'Antoni as an assistant this year. That couldn't have been cheap. You know, you get, sometimes you get these big name guys. And I'm just curious if Denver, that's one way I wonder, not to say that it's the best way if you go out and spend for a name or this or that, but sometimes you could tell, you can get a read on. They're willing, they're willing to get this going here. Um, let me, let's circle back and, and close out the show today by talking about what Giannis said after. Uh, uh, interesting. You know, You've probably got the sense from talking to me. I'm really not a big fan of the super team era. It really fresh. Apart from me because I know it doesn't include Denver. Denver's never going to have these guys coercing to get to Denver. But I also think there is something to, there's, there's this thing I want to believe in in sports about a guy doing things the hard way and pushing themselves. And when Giannis makes 17 and 19 free throws in a closeout game, I feel like it's cosmic justice. It's this, this was this dragon you had to slay that was at the end of the, at the top of the tower before you could save the princess. And you, he slayed that one. So I like that. I like this, this thing. And after the game, he said, we did it the hard way. We did it the right way. He said all of these things. We did it the hard way. We did it the right way. I could have gone to a super team and it would have been easy. And he kind of gives this look of disdain. Now, easy maybe not have been the right word, but easier. Definitely easier. And so I wonder if you look at this, and not necessarily the super team, but if you look at this and say there are champions that did it the hard way, there's champions that did it in a way like, okay, their margin for error was so great for this or that reason. Do you differentiate for that? Or if you're a champion, you're a champion, there's no... There's no descriptor underneath that. Well, I disagree with them. Any championship is hard. Yeah. I don't care how much talent you have. Being in the league as long as I was in the league, you didn't like the Lakers. Sure. The way they won championships. They bought championships. They went out and got the best players. Right. And they had advantages. And they still have those advantages in Hollywood and whatever, in in the climate of L.A., um, and you know, you, you kind of have a resentment for the Celtics in the early seventies and eighties. They kind of had an arrogance to the, how they build a championship. Right. Uh, and they, they were very good at it. 
So being in the league with those two teams, which have won about 75% of the championships in my time in the league, yeah, you, it's harder to do it in a small market. I was celebratory that Phoenix and Milwaukee, I don't know if we'll ever, ever see that again. We could. Right. Um, but I think the one thing that I, I, I look at is Giannis is European. American basketball, the super teams are being dominated by AAU mentality backed right. AAU NBA stars. Right. And they, these guys have played together for years and they like each other and they, okay, well, I'm a free agent, you're a free agent. And they, and they hang out and they figure it out. And LeBron has kind of endorsed that. Uh, and so, you know, LeBron being the, the probably top of the mountain guy right now, everybody kind of copies him a little bit. I like the European model better. And that's why I think Denver has a chance. Because Jokic, I mean, Giannis is a great player, but Jokic is right, right with him. Well, I weigh these things very heavily. You know, 2016, to me, if I look at the last decade, 2016 was a very impressive, that was a super team. You know, they assembled. But I just thought going up against a 73-win Warriors team, I didn't expect it. They took incredible performances in games 5, 6, and 7 from Kyrie and, and LeBron. So that one, to me, the most impressive one. You go after that, 2014, I think, was my next favorite champion. I mean, that Spurs team was absolutely connected, as you like to say. I think the Dirk championship carries away. I think this Giannis one, and, and to me, those ones stand out. If I look at the decade, those are the ones that are going to stand out the most to me. And I just wonder if players around the league, you know, Kevin Durant talked about this his first year when he won in Golden State. He thought, oh, everybody's going to say I'm better than LeBron. And nobody really said that. And he wanted that a little bit more. And he even talked about it feeling a little bit um, hollow. Or he has some quotes out there saying it didn't feel quite as, not hollow, I shouldn't say hollow. It didn't feel like he thought it would. Um, and I just wonder if players look at Giannis and look at how the, maybe the respect they're giving him and his quote or this or that. And I wonder if it's going to shift and people say, okay, it's not just the championship. Maybe, maybe it's how it happens and the story behind it. Or I wonder if it has an impact going forward. Um, I, I think I, 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 my, my, my mind goes European growth, the, yeah. the growth, the, the, upbringing curve of a European player versus an AAU player. And, and I think the AAU player is going to dominate that personality unless we get more Giannis's right. and maybe Jokic's and, and, you know, you threw Dirk out there. Dirk did that. Yeah, as European I mean, as well. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, it's, uh, it's a game of, it's all, it's always evolving. What worked this year there are going to be people who copy so it, and yeah. then there are going to be people that's going to try to figure out what's going to work next year. So true. Figure out how to break it. Uh, absolutely. And by the way, I want people to know, I, there's reasons to play. I don't think every player should stick in one city for their entire career. I think free agency and player empowerment, these things are real. I think it could be overdone. I think there are players that have been in good situations who have left, and to me, that's, I, don't, I don't like that. I like if you have a competitive team, there's a connection to your city that I think Johannes understands, quite frankly. And that's part of when you're talking about some of the great quotes, I think some of them were about that, his understanding of the relationship he has to that city and that fan base. And I'm just, I was glad to see it happen the way that it did. But we're out of time. Uh, 
George, this was good, man. I missed these. <laughs> I missed these conversations. Um, we have, uh, you know, hopefully some really interesting things coming down the pipeline with this show. Of course, we'll, the next episode we do, we'll be talking about the draft and summer league and the Olympics. There's there's no shortage of basketball topics that'll pop up in the next two weeks, but hopefully some cool things, uh, some cool surprises for you around the way. But do you want, have anything you want to tease for Truth and Media going on right now? Forgotten season. Yeah, what forgotten season is coming up? Uh, I don't know the one. Uh, I know they were talking to Sam Cassell about his season with Minnesota. Okay. And Sam Cassell yep. got hurt. Yep. Uh, in that in that series in the in the conference semifinals maybe, and they they, they were really a really good team that year. Um, we're I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but I'll announce it anyway. Um, we're doing we we have a military. Going to be called right. Truth and Tribe, and I think the first guest on that's going to be Eddie Gallagher. Yeah, an interesting guest for first guest. So that'll yeah, be. I mean, I've re- I, I just he sent me the, his book, and I'm reading his book, and it's it's a, a very difficult story, the heavy one for sure. Um, all right, everybody, hit the like button on the way out. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of the Keeping It One Thousand podcast. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Peace.